Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all, Canada's most irreverent talk show here, The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. It is my pleasure to have you aboard. It is, uh, what day is it? Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. And I will say I had a, a bit of a less eventful day yesterday than one of my colleagues did. You've seen him on the program in the past. I've been on his show going back uh, way, way back to when he had a show on Sun News Network, David the Menzoid Menzies of Rebel News. Now, uh, David was doing something that I've tried to do on a couple of occasions, which is question Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland. Now, to adapt and update the Wizard of Oz line, not nobody gets in to see the Deputy Prime Minister, not nobody, not know how. Uh, Christia Freeland has a laser-sharp focus when she walks. She does not break stride, as the saying goes. This is what happened when I tried to ask her a question in Davos. It's what happened when I tried to ask her a question at the Global Conference for Media Freedom. And it's what happened when she was on her way into an event about Iran and the anniversary of of Iranian regime officials downing a passenger airline yesterday in Richmond Hill, the memorial yesterday. The airline was not down, airliner was not down in Richmond Hill. But let's watch the footage, shall we? Ms. Freeland, how come the IRDC is not a terrorist group? Why is your government supporting Islamo that was uh, quite chilling footage and I don't want to do the whole Zapruder like analysis here that you had for decades and decades on the JFK uh, video but I do want to play a little bit of it here because I, I literally yesterday when this came out I, I went frame by frame to watch this because oftentimes uh, these videos are uh, ambiguous or murky at best and I've taken the relevant section here where the supposed assault of a police officer took place and I, I've slowed it right down for you. So why don't you take a look? This is the footage here and I'm gonna talk over it as it plays for you here. But uh, this is the footage where uh, David Menzies is, well, I, I'm hoping the footage will start playing. David is talking, uh, Christopher Freeland is right there. There's a pole, he avoids the pole, avoids, moves his shoulder to avoid the police officer who puts his arm out. And then eventually he is pulled aside. Christopher Freeland gets out of Dodge. And David, as you saw in that first video, is slammed up against the wall. He's later put in handcuffs, carried away, and he was released with no charges. But if the goal was to protect Christopher Freeland from being questioned by a reporter, mission accomplished, uh, David Menzies is here to talk about this directly. David, uh, good to talk to you, sir. Uh, first off, how are you? I mean, it, you've been through this before, but you actually 
actually looked in that moment uh, quite startled. Andrew, and by the way, I hope you had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, but gee, speaking of the new year, law enforcement is really off on the wrong foot. You know, one of the ch uh, cheekiest comments uh, I came across in the various streams, Andrew, is, uh, hey, Menzies, this is on you. You should have been calling for genocide of an identifiable group. Then uh, the Mounties would have bought you uh, Timbits and a cup of coffee, uh, as we saw the Toronto police do to the pro-Hamas demonstrators on Saturday uh, as they were blockading the Avenue Road Bridge. But, you know, I have to tell you, Andrew, in, uh, aside from the shock, the overwhelming feeling uh, was deja vu all over again. Uh, you may recall back in December of uh, 2021, uh, my ace cameraman, Lincoln Jay, and he was the shooter um, at the um, event yesterday. We were in downtown Toronto to scrum the prime minister. The context was this, Andrew. Um, Trudeau had said uh, that he wanted Canadians not to get together with family and friends uh, over Christmas time because COVID is just uh, too dangerous. At the same time, here he was in early December going to a downtown Toronto restaurant for one of those $1,700 a plate fundraisers, and they were packed in like sardines. The hypocrisy was off the charts. So Lincoln and I stood on a sidewalk. And we waited for the motorcade to come and uh, blackface is always late by at least an hour and eventually he came. And um, my goal was to simply ask him, uh, Mr. Prime Minister, how do you how do you justify this double standard? Canadians can't get together to celebrate uh, the Christmas holidays, but you're going into a packed restaurant. And to my shock, Andrew, and I invite your um, uh, viewers to uh, check this out on our website or on YouTube. Uh, these Royal Canadian mounted henchmen jumped out, grabbed me, didn't even identify who they are. They're in plain clothes, no badge, no uniform, uh, bounced my head off of a wooden fence. Um, I wasn't even under arrest. That That's the really shocking part of it. But it's always been my theory, and I can't prove this, of course, unless uh, Trudeau himself fessed up. They knew who we are. I'm completely identifiable. I've got the Rebel News mic flash uh, in my hands. And I think they acted uh, on the prime minister's orders. He saw us. He hates us. He said, boys, give them the works. Because it, to me, it's inexplicable that Mounties on their own accord would jump out of their SUVs and assault a journalist. Um, nevertheless, but, we fast forward to, to yesterday. Yeah. And here it is again. I, I'm on a in a, uh, at a uh, taxpayer funded um performing arts venue in richmond hill uh, which is where i live and i'm i'm not touching uh christian freeland or her companion at all i'm just trying to ask questions and andrew i can tell you i felt that mounty before i saw him because my focus was on christian freeland and, and the pole. I mean, you were, you were, I mean, he was literally standing watching you. And 
I, I don't want to say obstructing your path, but he knew where you were walking and he knew that there was a, a collision here. And it's not to say that, you know, you couldn't have like gone out of your way to, to get away from him. But when you watch the video, what I find notable here is that there's not a lot of room between you and Christian Freeland. If you were to try to move out of the way of him, you would have bumped into her and then you would have had a bigger problem on your hands. And it, it looks like he has his arm out. I mean, he is the obstruction here. So I, I'm not seeing the assault on a police officer of which you were accused. Yeah, um, I think, Andrew, this was, uh, as I say over in the UK, a stitch up. This was a frame job. Uh, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was, uh, he ambushed me. Uh, he initiated the physical contact. Um, I have no interest in getting physical with anyone, for goodness sakes. I'm certainly uh, not going to uh, touch um, a female cabinet minister who I tower over. Um, I just was asking questions, but it seems, Andrew, in Canada of 2024, impolite and insensitive questions, um, those are verboten. Uh, you can get arrested, I guess, for wrong think. I mean, I, I, I liken Canada to a banana republic, except, of course, we don't grow bananas in Canada, Andrew, as you know. Uh, so let's call it a maple syrup republic under uh, Trudeau. Uh, but the thing is, I think, you know, if you're not an admirer of Rebel News or, or Ezra Levant or myself, that's fine. But surely there should be people out there, especially in our industry of journalism, that stand up or should be standing up and saying, um, this is wrong, this is verboten. But the mainstream media, in Canada at least, has been silent. And this is a, a, a story of, in terms of Twitter impressions. I think it's over 10 million as we speak. Um, it, it's absolutely shocking. And that was kind of the same treatment the mainstream media uh, gave uh, to what happened uh, in December of 2021. They either ignored it or uh, um, almost came up with a conspiratorial theory. That was David Aiken's uh, mantra at Global, uh, going that, uh, saying that this was, um, you know, all pre-planned. It was absolutely outrageous. Well, so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you you chose to ask the question to Christian Freeland, but how yes. they responded is, is on them. And I will say, though, you, you do seem to have a bit more support uh, this time around than you did then. Uh, I mean, one, I'll put up the tweet. Elon Musk uh, weighed in on this, the uh, owner of X. Uh, and Elon says here, uh, fine for the officer to body block. I'm not actually convinced that is fine, but he says it's false to say that you deliberately assaulted an officer. Uh, but to his credit, Pierre Polyev, and I know the conservative have historically had a, a bit of a strained relationship with Rebel News, but Pierre Polyev weighed in. He shared the Rebel video, said, this is the state of freedom of the press in Canada in 2024 after eight years of Trudeau. And, you know, it's funny, Alexander Brown, who runs a, a substack that, that is quite uh, important for people to pay attention to, he had said here, he, he was tired of the, well, I don't like David Menzies, but, or I'm not a fan of Rebel <laughs> News, but. He said, if you can't just look at this and say this is wrong, you are part of the problem here. And, and this is a press freedom issue. Let me ask, has your inbox been uh, met with any support from the civil liberties groups in this country or the journalistic advocacy groups in this country, apart from the, the independent press gallery? No, the silence is deafening, uh, Andrew. And it's really egregious. 
in terms of, you know, you, you uh, made a quote there that I thought was significant. Uh, I don't like David Menzies. I don't like Ezra Levant. I don't like Rebel News. We're but, and we're getting a lot of those. Uh, and it just shows you how egregious and offside that Mountie was. Um, even when these uh, commentators state that they're not particular fans of ours, and that's fine. Yeah, they don't, don't want to. to support you. And it, it pains them that they have to because it's that bad what happened. Exactly. That's the point. And I thought you did a brilliant tweet uh, yesterday on this matter, uh, Andrew, where you uh, pinpointed the the time code. I think it was zero, uh, zero 09. So the yeah. nine second mark where you see the Mountie initiating physical contact. And, you know, it, and it, it's crazy. I mean, I know if you literally touch somebody that that can be taken as assault, but this was at best incidental uh, contact. I mean, the real roughing up came when they were putting the cuffs on me and slamming my head uh, into the wall. I, I don't know why they do that, Andrew. I've, be, I've been arrested a few times, and every time I'm uh, incapacitated with handcuffs, uh, I, they still uh, slam my uh, head off a, a wall or a fence or the uh, the hood of the police SUV. Uh, I don't get that. Uh, maybe they think they're on TV yeah. or something. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, I want to thank you for for pinpointing that out. And uh, golly, I got to say, in slow motion, it does look like the Sapruder film from the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> was there was there um, a second Menzoid coming in? But <laughs> yeah, and, and when you think of it, Andrew, yeah. um, I I've always looked at that film. And I've called it the great, great, great granddaddy of social media. You know, mm -hmm. now almost everybody has a cell phone camera and we can record it. But if Zapruder didn't have that little eight millimeter Bell and Howell uh, camera, uh, that footage wouldn't exist. So uh, it's interesting to bring it up. And, you know, there are other cameras. We've got an appeal out to anyone else who filmed this. And, of course, the um, Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts, um, they have closed circuit uh, security uh, surveillance as well. I'm sure as part of our lawsuit, uh, we'll be asking uh, for that footage as well, Andrew. Yeah, you, you mentioned the lawsuit. So uh, let me ask you about this, David. I, I saw uh, your boss, uh, Rebel Commander Ezra Levant, tweet this morning that you're suing Freeland, the RCMP, and York Regional Police, as I understand. What, what's happening there? That's correct. I, I believe there's four things we're suing for, including false arrest, uh, Melissa's prosecution, and garden variety assault on me because uh, you know it, far from the rcmp's narrative he did the assault i wasn't under the rest at, at the time nor was i you know and andrew i just want to go out on a limb here if i was some guy wearing a balaclava and wearing camouflage and it looked like i had something that resembled a handgun or a rifle I can see a preemptive strike by law enforcement. I can. But, you know, Andrew, they know who we are. I've got the Rebel News mic flash out. I wear my trademark hat. And uh, they know I'm not there wearing trouble on my shirt. I'm not there to hurt anyone. So they can't play that card. And I can tell you, Andrew, um, if any of your viewers have it in their heart to support our case against this draconian fascism we saw on display in Richmond Hill, if they can kindly go to standwithdavid.com, that's standwithdavid.com. And I know things are tough these days, but if you have a few extra bucks, we crowdfund uh, our uh, our revenue. As you know, uh, we don't take any government funding. And uh, if they can go to standwithdavid.com, make a, a donation, that would be 
greatly appreciated, Andrew. And, and I just to confirm, they, they released you without laying any charges. So, so this uh, egregious assault on a police officer by their own admission either didn't happen or didn't rise to the level of uh, needing to charge you. You know, absolutely, Andrew. Uh, as the footage goes on, you see me eventually getting loaded into uh, a police SUV, a York Regional Police SUV. Um, the cops were gracious enough to um, handcuff me, uh, take the handcuffs uh, off behind my back and put them in the front because I told them with the cramped space in that cruiser, um, I have double hip replacement. This would be not safe for me. And so at least they gave me that little mercy. But here's the funny thing. It's, um, it wasn't, as the saying goes, not so funny at the time. Uh, they, they, were, they were telling me we're going to drive you uh, to the police station on Major, Major McKenzie Drive for processing. And then they had another officer come up to them. There was some kind of conversation and they waited for a while. And then they drove off and they started going uh, northbound. And since I live in Richmond Hill, uh, Andrew, I know the station's southbound. So I'm thinking, where are we going? And I'm brought to the back of a school, uh, which has been dismissed. And I'm thinking, holy moly, what is this? The Cherry Beach Express, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, like, it was, it was unbelievable. And, but it turned out to be a good news story because they said, we've been told the, the, uh, the Mountie uh, in question has declined to press charges. I guess he had a come to Jesus moment. Maybe he saw some cell phone footage because uh, this is about almost an hour after the incident. So we're just going to release you here. So it was like catch and release. It was like dump you out on the curb somewhere, basically. And I walked back to the Porming Arts Center, not to go inside, even though we were invited as media, because according to the police, uh, myself and Lincoln had been trespassed, which makes no sense, because if there's no charges, uh, mm -hmm. what's the issue? So we had to do the rest of the reporting on the sidewalk. And I got to tell you, Andrew, our original goal of going there, we didn't even know um, Blackface and company were going to be there yesterday. I was at the first commemoration ceremony for that Ukrainian airline that was shot down. Let's keep in mind, Andrew, 179 innocent civilians plus one unborn baby, which of course the media will never uh, list as a homicide. That included 55 Canadians, by the way, most of them of Persian descent. And when I went in 2020 to that very same venue, the Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts, there were politicians of every level, every political stripe, except one. And that would be none other than the Liberal MP for Richmond Hill, Majid Johari. If you can imagine, Andrew, Majid Johari supports the Iranian regime. He's had meetings with Iranian government officials in Canada. And it's so beyond the pale for me. I've lived in Richmond Hill for 25 years. I can tell you it's a significant Persian minority there. I believe it's as high as 14%. All the Persians I've met there um, have been wonderful people. I go to Persian shops, Persian restaurants. They're typically people that fled the regime post-1979, uh, the revolution. Uh, they're getting away from tyranny. And imagine, Andrew, that somehow, some way, that the member of parliament for that riding of Richmond Hill 
is a pro-regime person. Now, he didn't show up at the first commemoration, and I had people there tell me uh, that was for his own safety because there were so many people who had relatives that died on that plane, and for him to show his face would be egregious. So that was really why I was there. I knew there'd be politicians yeah. there, but would Majid Johari show up? Well, not only did he show up, evidently, because, again, I couldn't get in, but Trudeau himself and Andrew talk about the continuation of lies. It's been four years since that egregious incident where Canadians were murdered in cold blood. The IRGC is still not a terrorist group, not mm -hmm. recognized as one, I should say, by the Canadian government. Um, Trump recognized it as one. When Biden came into power, I thought I'd never say anything positive about Biden, but he didn't take them off the list. So why is it that they're not on the list? And even if you look at the mealy mouth statement Trudeau said, it was along the lines, we'll look at ways yeah. of putting them on. Look at ways. Yeah. You've really got a, an unofficial majority government. You can do it today, you know, if you wanted to. I, 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 I got to jump in here, David. I, I yes. should also point out, I promised I would let you go at 120 at your request. And you were the one yes. that took us over. So uh, that's on you, sir. But uh, you had okay. some good commentary. <laughs> and I, I should say, Majid Johari has denied these allegations, which were, I, I believe, originally made by an Iranian uh, journalist that he had had this uh, relationship with Iranian intelligence. He, he says, no, he's, he's not uh, loyal to the regime. But uh, I would encourage people to look up reporting on him in the past. Uh, David Manzies, glad you got the cuffs off. Always good to talk to you, sir. Well, thank you. And one last thing, if Majid uh, Johari is denying it, this man is such a liar, Andrew, he will spit in your face and tell you it's raining, okay? So okay. Take, you're trying to get a suit, David. I, I was trying to get a easy <laughs> exit here. I've, now I, I should say we. I am not making an accusation that he is a liar, but I do think that if he has nothing to hide, he should make himself available to independent journalists and not have uh, the police stand in the way as, as uh, Ms. Freeland did there yesterday. David, thank you. Thank you so much, Andrew. All the best in the new year. All right. Uh, thank you to David Menzies on that. And let me just say here, like, I, I don't buy, I don't like this whole, well, uh, maybe you don't like him, but I don't like it. Like, he's getting support from a lot of people that hate Rebel right now. And you know it pains them to have to do that. I mean, Pierre Polyev, I'm not saying he hates Rebel, but uh, for, for the conservative leader to go to bat for a Rebel journalist is actually a, quite a significant development here. And, and let me also say, it's very convenient. I, I don't actually believe it's a exculpatory on law enforcement that they are uh, not charging David because what they're, they were trying to do was prevent him from asking Christian Freeland a question. So when they say you're under arrest, that gives them license to manhandle him, to shove him up against a wall, to take him away and drop him off in the parking lot of a school uh, while this event that he was going to report on is underway. And it reminds me of during the 2019 election, I was uh, banned from covering the Liberal campaign. I was banned from the Liberal campaign bus and airplane. And uh, what happened was I just like, at Candace Malcolm and I had worked out this little plan where I just like rented a car and booked last minute flights and followed them along. And at one point we were in, I we were, they had been in Hamilton and we were driving, but I didn't know where they were going because they didn't publish the itinerary. So I was just following the bus. I was just following the campaign bus to figure out where the next campaign stop was. And at a certain point, a member of the Hamilton police service that was escorting the bus pulled me over, did not ticket me, did not charge me, 
but just kept me at the roadside for long enough that the bus was long gone and I had no idea where it was going. Because the goal was never to accuse me of committing a crime or breaking the law. The goal was to get me away from the person that they were trying to protect. Not protect from a safety threat, but protect from prying eyes of media. And that was what happened in the case of Christian Freeland. They never thought, they never believed for a moment that David had assaulted a police officer or anyone. That was completely made up. It was bogus. They knew it, but they needed a pretext to pull him away so that she didn't have to deal with his questions. It was shameful and it was uh, humiliating for members of law enforcement, many of whom have emailed me uh, in the course of the last, I don't know, 18 hours or whatever, and said how disgraceful they find this display was. I am the uh, president, in addition to my role of true, at True North, of the Independent Press Gallery. We put out a statement last night saying this is egregious. It was shocking, although uh, sadly not altogether unsurprising given everything we've seen. So we will follow this story as it progresses, I would love to see the Liberal government say, this is not what we think should happen to journalists, but I am not holding my breath or else I would be turning blue uh, within a couple of minutes time here. Uh, you may have seen yesterday at True North, my colleague Cosman Georgia published what I thought was a, a tremendously researched story, one of these hidden in plain sight reports. It was based on the Canadian Military Journal, which is the official publication. It's more academic in nature, but the official publication of the Canadian Armed Forces. And while it's not a product, it's not a communications product of the Department of National Defense, it is official and it is where the military gets a lot of its uh, theoretical and practical uh, material from clearly. Because what we saw in this issue is it was dedicated to unmasking and exposing patriarchy and whiteness and white supremacy. I believe we have the, uh, the table of contents for you here. This is one issue, the summer issue, Getting to the root of the problem, there is a, an article about interrogating whiteness and power in the Canadian Armed Forces. There's an article about whether supporting military families is reinforcing patriarchy. There is an article about gender identity and military culture. There are articles about women's experiences, feminism, and the military. Uh, but the bulk of this is saying that the military is upholding white supremacy and patriarchy. This idea that the military is clearly behind, and you wonder why they're having so much difficulty with morale, because they're telling all the men and all the white people that, well, you guys just don't really matter. You are you people. Don't want to be too gendered about this. I, I wanted to get some veteran perspective on this, because again, I, I've heard so many members of the Canadian Armed Forces. My father is a, a veteran, and uh, I know many people uh, in my family and in your families, and many of you listening have served in the Armed Forces as well. I uh, wanted to welcome into the show uh, Tom Morazzo, who you've heard from on a number of occasions, a former captain with the Armed Forces and also the author of The People's Emergency Act, as well as Andrew McGilvery, who's the president of Veterans for Freedom. Uh, Drew and Tom, it's great to talk to you both. Thanks for, for being with us here, and, and thanks for your service. I, I mean, let me just ask first and foremost here, how does this publication and, and how the military has gone on this issue make you feel about your service, this body that you devoted a, a chunk of your lives to? I'll start with you, Drew. Uh, it's it's pretty alarming. You know, I, I'm one of the guys who's, and I was going to put oh. it in 25, 30 years. And, um, you know, I joined because I was a patriotic uh, Canadian. I came, uh, grew up in Scarborough, in, uh, uh, which is located in Toronto, very multicultural neighborhood. 
And then they're pushing this stuff and they're forcing it on the troops. And then I look back at my 12 year career and I say, you know, why did I do this? Why did this isn't the institution? This isn't the country that I signed up to defend and ultimately uh, was willing to risk my life for. And it's completely disrespectful to the, the troops and, and the soldiers that are still in there. And, um, you know, this has been a trajectory they've been going down for the past couple uh, months. So it just is what it is, unfortunately. And I'll put the same question to you, Tom. Well, I, I do find it completely uh, offensive, to be perfectly honest. You know, my time in the military, and I did 25 years total, I was a reservist and I was a regular force member. And, you know, the vast majority of people that join the Canadian Armed Forces are rural members, some small towns, but the vast majority of people that join um, are Caucasian uh, males and females of a Christian ethnicity or Christian uh, descent. And, you know, they're, they're very patriotic Canadians. And, you know, this idea of whiteness, like it's how, how do you justify the concept of white supremacy when your entire year, unit that you're in, let's say, as an example, your entire platoon or your company or even your regiment, when the vast majority of the people in there are Caucasians who are, you know, come from a, a Christian background. And I'm not suggesting that everybody's religious. I'm saying that their, their religious uh, morals and ethics and their values derive from a Christian upbringing in a largely Christian society. So where does the white supremacy come in when you look around and everybody's white? Like, who are we supremacist against? Like, it's a, it's it's kind of offensive to sit there and say that there's this, um, this, you know, racism or deep um, dislike for somebody who doesn't look like you based on your skin color in the Canadian forces. When the, the reality is if anybody who's done basic training knows your personality is stripped down to the bare essence of who you are as a Canadian and you're rebuilt as a soldier or a sailor or an airman. You're not rebuilt as a Christian or a Muslim or you're not from India or whatever. Like these things are very blurred to paint this very nefarious picture that doesn't make any sense. Because from, you know, as far as I'm concerned and everything I was ever taught in the military, you're a soldier first. That's what matters. And can you be relied upon uh, to defend the lives of your brothers and sisters in arms? Nobody's looking at your ethnicity. Nobody's looking at your religion. Nobody's looking at your whiteness. They're looking at, uh, you know, in the case of the army, they're looking at a guy who or girl who's, you know, camouflaged. Uh, and are they competent and willing and able to do the business of war, the business of violence, not the business of social engineering? And this is what a lot of this crap that we're seeing is all about. It's not about warfare. It's not about defending Canada. It's trying to hypnotize certain portions of Canadians to vote liberal. And I hope we can get into that uh, discussion as well.
Yeah, and I, but I, I wanted to ask, because you, you raised, I think, an important point there. I mean, it, it, you, my understanding of this is not someone who's served, but someone who's had family members who have, is that uniformity was always a, a very core part of the military. And, and it was meant to basically be exactly what you've just described there. Your role has to be the uniform, not who you are as an individual when you're, you're serving. And I, I think it was two years ago that they significantly dropped the standards on uniformity, where you could have uh, dyed hair, and face tattoos. No offense to people with dyed hair and face tattoos, but uh, well, I mean, a little bit. I'm, I'm okay offending a little bit of the face tattoo crowd. But uh, the thing about uh, that is, is that here we have the military, and I understand why, because if you have no uh, recruitment and you have no people there, I understand the impulse to just start dropping all these barriers. But I think it has an inverse relationship because all of a sudden you you change it so much that the people you want in there are saying, I, I don't know if I, I want to be a part of that anymore. But it seems like the military has gone along with this very woke academic idea that everyone needs to be this celebrated individual snowflake, which is a complete reversal. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Drew, but of what the military has always been about and, and what it needs to be to be a success at, at its goals. Yeah. So ultimately, there's there's a guy named uh, Andy Stump who does a podcast called Cleared Hot. And when he was asked about diversity in the SEALs, and he felt that they were, you know, did they lose anything by the lack of diversity? And his answer, which I've remembered uh, verbatim because it was the perfect answer, he said, uh, well, I don't know. He goes, are we aiming for diversity or are we aiming to achieve a standard? And that standard is dictated to us by what we encounter on the battlefield. And the battlefield doesn't give a crap about diversity, which is ultimately the, the best answer uh, I've ever heard. And it it's... When you get into um, into uniform, you, you get discriminated against generally in three ways, okay? It's your element, so either Army, Navy, or Air Force, uh, your trade, and your rank. And that's just to build esprit de corps, and there's banter and that sort of thing. No one cares about the color of your skin or what's between your legs. We care about what is between your ears. So all of this stuff that's happening with academia and what they're doing, it's being funded by the government. And what we're, what's worrisome is we're seeing a similarity between uh, what's, happening, what's happened in China with the CCP and what's happening here. And how I, uh, what I mean is that in China, uh, the, their military is beholden to the party. It's beholden to the CCP and not the state. And we're starting to see that here in Canada is that the Canadian Forces is becoming beholden to the Liberal Party and their ideology and not the state. This idea that we're seeing, because the, the 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 whole like we're a systemically racist institution that goes back a couple of years now. This article that or the series of articles from the summer that a True North reported on yesterday was this really a creation of the last couple of years, or did you start to see this both of you near the end of of your service? And I, I don't know what years you you left, but had had you started to see shades of this trend then, or has it really just been a, a blunt instrument as of late? Yeah, so I, I can, I'll speak to that just ahead of Tom because I know he got out a, a while ago. I, I just got out just over two, uh, just over two years ago. And Did we lose Drew? I hear him. I don't see him. I don't see Sorry. him either. It might, it might come back. I'm in the middle a of snowstorm in snowstorm uh, here, so. part of, the, of Ontario. All right, well, I'll go to you uh, first, sure. Tom, while we're sure. getting Drew sorted out. So in the early 90s, like I left the military in 2015, but even in the early to mid 90s, 
we had this uh, training program. It was called SHARP. It was an acronym for sexual harassment and all these things. And we had to undergo a lot of this training. But it was interesting because the, the training was put on by non um, non-veterans or non uh, currently serving military. They were, you know, academic think tank people coming in and trying to reshape the culture of the military. Yet none of the people who were responsible for creating this training ever served in the military. So they don't understand the culture, you know, and what I found really interesting about um, your colleague in the article that, that was, was put out, you know, you've got these academics who are academically tied to the Defense Academy in Kingston, yet I see no evidence that they actually ever served in uniform. So how is it that they are trying to reshape currently the culture of the military wherein in the past, they've never even been part of it. And this is a problem when academics try to get involved in a culture that they don't fully appreciate because they haven't even so much as done basic training. Now, I've done basic training once in the reserves, and then as an officer, I had to redo it. And yes, there are training evolutions you go through. Um, annually, there are some things, but it's never been as obvious and egregious as it is right now, where they've gone so far to attack things like, you know, even masculinity. I mean, I'm sorry, but we, we need... We need aggressive men and women in uniform who do the business of violence, okay? And I find, you know, you, you raise the example of the, uh, you know, the tattoos and the dyed hair and the, even the nail polish and earring. In my day, that was absolutely unheard of, okay? You, you had to be focused on the business of war, not the, the, the business of social engineering like we're seeing right now. And... Yes, this has slowly been creeping in over over years, but since this current Liberal government has gone in, they have completely terraformed the Canadian Armed Forces into something very um, non, non-serious, non-serious. I mean, if Canada were to go to war today, who in the hell would be intimidated by the fact that the Canadians are now coming? And I want to leave this one last point. Um, you know, Rommel had said the perfect military, the, the most deadly military in the world would have been German officers, American equipment, and Canadian soldiers. And I don't think that equation holds true any longer, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and to your point about masculinity, I, I'm not sure any Afghan Afghan girls that uh, had an education for the first time in their lives uh, because of the Canadian military and other allied forces there, I don't think they were complaining about toxic masculinity when the uh, soldiers came to town uh, against the Taliban, just to give one recent example here. Uh, Drew, you, you got cut off by technology there. We were talking about kind of when this started, and I'm curious about your experience here. Yeah, so I got out just over uh, two years ago. And the anti-racism in DEI training was just starting to uh, trickle in. Uh, you know, I was someone who was told that uh, I had to go into the communist-style struggle sessions where they said, "Oh, y'all, white men bad." Not even be putting on by vet or, or sorry, current military members. It was being put on by you know government, you know, their bureaucrats and stuff who were coming down and doing this training in academia. And and really, in six years, we have seen three instances of right-wing extremism or white supremacy in the calf. It was uh, Patrick, Matthews, Boris, Mihalovic, and then the Proud Boy incident in 2017. That's three incidents. For my last year at the recruiting center in Toronto, we saw three instances of attacks on our recruiting center. Two were by um, uh, 
I guess want to say jihadi type attacks. And one was done by a left wing uh, Antifa woman. And the media wasn't down there reporting on those, but you can sure believe if it was some sort of white, white uh, supremacist attack on our recruiting center, they would have been down there reporting it. So they've been pushing this uh, bogus narrative for a while. And you can talk to any current serving member. Morale's at an all time low because of these commie style struggle sessions is being forced on them. That's not what the job of the military is. If you ask an infanteer, their job is to close with and destroy the enemy. They don't care who's beside them as long as they're well-trained and they can trust them with their lives. So this has been coming and it's gonna to continue to come and there's no pushback from senior leadership uh, within the military. I, I have an email chain saved that I had with the vice admiral where he was telling me to read Anti-Racist by Ibrahim X. Kendi. And I read it and I pushed back to him. I said, this goes completely against the ethos of the uh, Canadian Armed Forces. So we're going to continue to see this. And we get all sorts of tips and emails from serving members telling us the stuff that they have to go through. And that's why uh, the attrition rate is three times the regular rate. And that's why guys like me, who uh, released earlier getting out because it's just uh, it's just nonsense and it's uh, we're not like a the Canadian forces in the passport office okay we are a completely different entity in society and uh, there's just so much creep uh, that's stuff that's crept in from the likes of you know Barbara Perry and um, the Ontario Technical Institute and they they just gave a bunch of money to a man named Andy Knight who's a University of Alberta professor who's going to study white white supremacy in, in the Canadian Armed Forces. So it's just a, a false and bogus narrative, in my opinion. Is your sense, Tom, that the military leadership have bought into this, or are they just basically taking their marching orders from cabinet and government or seeing the writing on the wall and, and that this is the way things are, are going? Yeah, absolutely. I do believe that the senior leadership of the Canadian Forces has bought completely into this. And, you know, I tweeted about this yesterday where, you know, there was um, the American veterans and currently serving members have created this declaration of accountability where, you know, um, there there's a group of over 200, I believe, 230 uh, currently serving and re, uh, retired American veterans who want accountability against the Joint Chiefs of Staff for all of their actions uh, during COVID. And, um, you know, my tweet was actually about the same thing is that the Canadian Armed Forces members um, had the same have the same duty. I mean, you learn this in basic training in the first week when you're covering military law. You as a subordinate uh, rank when you're trained have a duty to report a crime if you witness it being committed and if so actually lay charges. And that doesn't matter if the person committing the crime is of a higher rank than you you've got a duty to take action because you know it's a professional organization with its own uh, body of laws. It's got its own criminal justice system. It has its own mechanisms to deal with these things. And the fact that it right now, the currently serving military members have never taken their superior officers to task tells you it speaks volumes about the, the state of um, buy-in from senior leaders who are protecting their careers, not the integrity of the institution of the Canadian Armed Forces, but they're protecting their careers. They're not risking their pensions or their livelihoods or their reputations on pushing back against this ideology. 
And I think that that in itself is a massive leader of failure or a, a failure of leadership on, on behalf of, let's say, lieutenant colonels and above, or even majors who are the first rank of senior officer. Very few instances we've seen this. Um, I can think of one major that did a video in uniform where he pushed back against the actions of, of the senior leadership of the forces. But that's the only example I can come up with. And, you know, I believe some people should stay in and fight from the inside, try to make it better. But the reality is that the best people are going to get out of the way. They're going to leave the military and the garbage is going to percolate to the top. And they're going to occupy those senior positions within the Canadian forces. And they will remain beholden to the Liberal Party of Canada, not to Canadians, not to the institution of the Canadian Armed Forces. That's where their loyalties are going to lie in their next promotion. And their next promotion is going to be contingent on how woke you are and how much you abide by this gender ideology and all these other things, right? I mean, we, we have quotas. 25% of all the occupations we want to fill by women. That's not based on capability. That's based on this bizarre quota of what your gender is and what your skin color is. It's not based on capability. And the, you know, up until recently, the, the fundamental um, idea was that your capabilities were what earned you the position within the Canadian Armed Forces. You know, you don't have the right to join the Canadian Armed Forces. You have the right to apply. You don't have to be accepted. But to be accepted, you have to meet a minimum standard. And Drew could probably talk about what's happening now with the CFAT score, which is the Canadian Forces Aptitude Test. So, you know, I do think that there's some nefarious things happening so that senior officers can get promoted into uh, more advanced positions than they currently hold. Well, yeah, and obviously if we are embracing diversity and DEI and anti-whiteness and anti-colonialism and all of this, which we, you clearly are, we see this in the documentation, it stands to reason that that's going to become at the core of hiring and promotion practices. And I mean, obviously no true meritocracy really exists. There are always biases and nepotism and things that can seep their way in. But the idea that senior military strategists or people who are supposed to be strategists are going to be decided based on how many diversity checkboxes you can tick uh, isn't really all that far off, is it, Drew? I mean, and, and you think, I mean, this is the whole point of that intersectionality idea that these academics who have never served, as Tom points out, are talking about here. It's that, oh, well, the, yeah, this guy may have led, uh, you know, 20 successful campaigns, but, oh, this one's a transgendered Indigenous person in a wheelchair. This is our, our new admiral. Uh, no, exactly. And I'll just touch base on one thing that Tom said is the difference. So the, we know and we're, uh, uh, I guess, uh, partnered with the American uh, guys who put forth that military accountability document. The difference down there is they actually have senior officers who are signed on to this, guys with credibility and who are known within the community. With V4F, we're at over 3,000 members. We have a handful of four ringers, so either captain navies or uh, colonels. Uh, but we've never, we haven't had any sort of major general or admiral push back uh, and step up and speak. Now, General Mason has been doing some uh, good work. He's been speaking out against sort of the wokeness effect in the CAF, uh, which is great. But there, there needs to be more uh, senior officers and senior NCOs uh, who speak out uh, about this stuff. Um, 
And that's, uh, sorry, what was your question again, Andrew? I guess I lost my train. I can't remember. Your answer was good enough, but I was basically just asking about whether diversity uh, diversity hires are going to become the new norm uh, with how things yeah. are going. And, you know, the general, the vice admiral, all these leaders are, are not going to be people that were these, you know, brilliant tacticians and strategists and operators, but are actually just going to be people that are chosen for these intersectional diversity right. categories. Yeah, so you're 100% spot on. So when I, I was in recruiting, so I was a military career counselor, I would really sign off, the guys sign off on the files to get them uh, sort of approved and onto the competition list, uh, which has been watered down. But at that time, uh, women who were applying to the Canadian Armed Forces didn't have to pass the aptitude test to be able to be approved and, and put on the thing. So they, they had lowered the standards there for women um, just to get them on, on the list. And I talk about how they actually select applicants, but that's a whole nother story. It is now, this is something that we released on our uh, social medias yesterday, is for just under 50% of the trades um, in the Canadian Armed Forces, they've waived the requirement to pass the Canadian Forces aptitude test. And that aptitude test tests you in three things. It tests you in math, it tests you in English, tests you on your spatial awareness. And based on your scores, it, it will dictate to us, the military career counselors, of what occupations you're good for. That's not even happening anymore. So 47 trades no longer require that aptitude test. Now, I talked to our source at uh, CFRG, which Canadian Forces Recruiting Group uh, headquarters, and see, he said that this is being done to for two reasons. One, to help push through the 2,600 permanent residents who've uh, applied to uh, the Canadian Armed Forces, and two, to help meet the, uh, what we call EE employment equity quotas, which I believe is 25% uh, women. These are the goals, 25% women, 15% uh, visible minority, and I think it's four or 5% indigenous. So they're lowering the standard of the, the troops uh, in the uh, military to help achieve the uh, their DEI targets, which is, you know, it's unacceptable. You, you never lower the standard, especially when people's lives are on the line. I mean, that used to be when, when this came up with firefighters years ago, this used to be the, the most obvious pushback on this, which is, you know, someone like me doesn't drop 100 pounds if the firefighter is a woman. Uh, so this is, I, I think, the, the painful reality here. Well, I'm, I'm glad you gentlemen are speaking up about this. Thank you for your service and for your time today. Drew McGilvery from Veterans for Freedom and Tom Morazzo, also from Veterans for Freedom, but also the author of the book, The People's Emergency Act. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thanks, Andrew. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. That does it for us for today. I will say all of you who have uh, served, I, I thank you so much for your service and to the spouses of those who have served and family members as well. You've put up with a fair deal. So uh, your country thanks you as well. We will be back tomorrow with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.